Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who've not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So we finished last week with Paul describing how he's straining, he's laboring, he's striving not just to get people saved, not just to bring people to eternal life, but to bring people to an eternal lifestyle because everyone will stand before Jesus and give an account. And his mission is not just to get people in hardly on the grass His mission is not to get people to pray a prayer to get to heaven. His mission is not to get people to believe the right things and say the right prayers and get a little fire insurance. His mission is to make disciples. His mission is for people to deeply be so rooted in intimate relationship with Christ who dwells in them that Christ who dwells in them is expressed through them and they are transformed into that image so that when they stand before God, he sees his own image reflected back. That's his goal. And he is working his butt off, fueled by grace. So we ended kind of with that one, with Paul saying, uh, I am working so, so hard because God's grace is what's empowering me. We talked a little bit about 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain, but I worked harder than all of them. We've seen this where God can pour his love on somebody and they can just, eh, they don't do anything with it. And God can put just a little bit of light on somebody else and they absolutely soak it up, they grab hold of it, they make the change, they switch their whole mindset over, they lay hold of God's grace and they maximize what they get out of what God gave them and they bear incredible fruit. I was thinking a little bit about this idea of, you know, you can can have your Bible on your shelf and say, yeah, that's God's word and be the kind of person who would be so offended if somebody else were to speak bad about the Bible but it's not in you. It's dusty. It's, it's not a living word. You're not eating it. You're not feasting on it. But it's very important to you that people talk about the Bible with respect. Or you can be this, you know, like I, I remember stories of Chinese Christians in prison and they would get a page, a contraband in prison, a page of their New Testament. They would, they would read it till they memorized it. And once they had memorized it, then they would give it to somebody else. And that one page of Bible would bear more fruit in their life than all the pages of our Bibles are born in our life. Because they didn't take the grace of God in vain, but their responsiveness and diligence to partner with, to cooperate with God's grace, caused that grace to be able to actually bear the intended effects that God had for it when he sent it out. So grace, grace is a big deal. And then he continues the same thought. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling, again, the same word, agonizomai, from which you can see the root of the word agony in there. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who've not seen me face to face. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. 
Recently, we watched um, an eco-challenge show. What was the name of the program? The world's, it was, uh, it was the British guy who, Bear grills, yeah, he'll kill a snake, then make the snake into a bag, and then pee into the bag, and then drink his pee from the bag once it's three days of not having water. He's just a crazy guy, survivalist. Why did I have to say that one into the microphone? Bear grills, right? So Bear Grylls sets up this, he's the host of this uh, crazy race where these teams gather, and they do the, it's the hardest, it's, there's swimming, there's boating, there's biking, there's mountain hiking, they're, they're traversing uh, you know, it, these narrow canyon rivers, and if the rain comes, then they, you know, it, it's crazy dangerous. Marathon, sleepless nights, just going for it. Teams not getting knocked out through injuries left and right. And it was a crazy program. One of the things we noticed, though, as we watched the various teams, is that the front runner teams, when they had the option of, do, of playing it safe and, and making sure that they take good care of their body and they don't want to push it, they don't want to get an injury, they don't want to push the... Those teams that said, you know what, let's just, let's just chill a little bit because, you know, we don't want to get hurt. They were all losers and they didn't finish. And, I, you know, that sounds real harsh to say, but it was true. Time after time, somebody would fall down and get a boo-boo and they would go, oh, my word, better safe than sorry. We better put you in, watch out, but time out and stay here for the night. You know what, let's even backtrack and go to this camp and we'll just, you know, because more winning is not important. What's important is our physical health and well-being. But the teams that were in the front top four or five, when they had the option of taking a rest or pushing through the night and not getting sleep, they did it. Three hours of sleep was considered a full night's sleep by the, by the winning teams. Absolute maximum, absolute maximum intensity. They were running in such a way as to win the prize rather than running in such a way as to make sure they preserved their feelings and their comfort. And over and over, you could see it. A team that had a conservative approach was going to not only not win, but they were going to literally not finish the race. And it was just amazing. One team, though, screwed up real bad. They pushed so hard at the first leg of the journey that the, their strongest guy got uh, heat exhaustion, and that, that actually cost them a lot. But their attitude still got, kept them, what, in the top 15, top 10? Because attitude is, like, so huge. And I watched that. And I thought, oh, my word, are we running to win the prize? Paul says that, right? You remember that? I beat my body and I make it my slave. How does that feel? How does that feel? Comfort and convenience? And you've heard me say this before. One thing I'm sure of about Americans is our primary and strongest commitment is to ourselves and our happiness above all. And Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave because my primary goal is not how can I just live the most fulfilling life here on earth in this life that I can? Not at all. That's, that's the loser thinking. That's loser thinking. His thing is, how can I bring the biggest return on the investment Christ put in me with my one life? I will work my butt off. I will, I will, I will suffer great losses. That's fine. If that's what it costs, I'll go sleepless nights. That's fine. If that's what it costs, I'll bear the marks in my body. If that's what it costs, I'll deal with whatever pain I have to endure if that's what it costs to bring the return to Jesus he's worthy of. I put him first, not me first. I put his eternal vision first, not my short-term view of what is this costing me. And like, yeah, he has winner thinking. He thinks like a winner. He chooses to push on and make more miles count tonight rather than bed down for the night because we worked hard today. 
This guy's a hardcore dude. So he wants you to know, number one, he wants you to know how hard he's working for you, but he ain't even met you. We could include ourselves in this verse. I want you to know how hard I'm struggling for you. That's weird, right? I haven't even met you. I'm working super hard for you Colossians and I'm working hard for, you, for the Laodiceans and for a bunch of other people who haven't even seen my face, including Tim Miller, 2,000 years later. Because he, he, he wasn't driven by people's responses at all. In fact, he didn't know who he was working for until they responded. That's really interesting. How can you not know who your life's work is for? There's this weird reality called the call of God. And so who is Paul striving for? Who is he sacrificing for? Who is he agonizing for? Those who respond to the call. And you don't get to pick who that is. You don't get to pick who your life's work is for. You don't get to pick who your ministry is for. You can pick whether you're faithful. You can pick whether you're responsive, whether you're responsible. But ultimately, you don't get to choose. And if you try to, my guess is it's going to mess you up. Because if the ones you wished would have responded to the call, don't respond to the call, you can hang your hat there and say it's over, it's a failure. Lots of times I see us thinking like parents instead of like missionaries. If we think like parents, it's like, these are your kids, these are your only kids, and if they don't respond, you can't possibly move, it's like you can't get past it. There's no shake the dust off your feet with parenting, is there? But with evangelism, there is. With discipleship, there is. I could preach a whole sermon on the whole idea of, the whole idea of he who has ears to hear. One day Jesus told me what I was, because I was frustrated, and he said, uh, you think you're preaching to the whole church. I said, well, am I not? And he said, no, you're preaching to the 15% who have ears to hear. Amen. Well, I thought that percentage felt, felt extremely low and was, was a totally different mindset. He said Jesus' mindset when he would go into a town was he was speaking to those who had ears to hear. So instead of getting discouraged by those who didn't have ears to hear, he would be encouraged by those who actually had a hunger for the thing he was... He was He's feeding people out of the life of his, what he's drawing life in relationship to the Father. What he hears, that he speaks. What he receives, that he offers. And other people whose hearts burn with what his heart burns for, they hear the same call, they respond, and that's the ones your life's work is for. Not the ones who don't respond, not the ones who, who you know, gnash their teeth at you, not the ones who are offended by you, but the ones who actually are hungry for what is feeding you. And you don't get to choose who that is. And Paul's like, okay, Colossians responded to the gospel. That's who I'm working for. Every day I get up and I kick, every day. Every day. Hardcore, let's go, no excuses. What has he put in me? I'm giving it away. Remember the time when, and what you say, well, what is he giving away? He's giving away Jesus because he knows that God's been working on a mystery. And not very many people have the understanding of the big picture. But the big picture God's been working on is revealed in Jesus. And Paul knows, I've been granted encounters with Jesus and understanding of this mystery, and people don't know it. So he gets up every day to make the mystery as plain and as clear as possible to as many people as possible. If you don't know it yet, you might be called through his, through his telling. The only way to know who his audience is is to find them. 
through saying it to everybody. And then who responds? Then you, even, then you dig down even deeper. You don't go, oh, good, we got them. They prayed the prayer. They signed the card. No, no, that's when it starts, not when it's, that's not the goal being achieved. The goal is not achieved till you're home into heaven with his image in you full, fully mature, walking in the power of the resurrection all your days, then being taken home to glory. That's when we've achieved the goal. And Paul knows he'll get credit for how he helps you get that goal. And he knows he'll be blamed by God if he doesn't. Because it's a real race. There's real winners. There's real losers. It's, worth, it's, it's, it's more lengthy than an eco-challenge. And there's mindsets that don't serve us well. Well, I'll just sit down here. Remember the proverb? A little resting, a little folding of the hands to rest. Remember this? this? A little slumber. A little... I can't believe I'm going to say this publicly. A little, a little folding of the hands to rest. What's the next? What's the conclusion? And poverty will come upon you <laughs> like a thief. <laughs> oh, my. Somebody was like, just do what you love and the money will follow. And the guy's like, well, I love Doritos and petting my dog and five-hour naps. I'm just waiting for the cash to roll in. I've been waiting a while. When's it coming? It's never coming, bro. You should love different things. Ain't that the truth, right? He said he'll grant us the desires of our heart. But that's not just a promise to the human race. It's delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. First things first, fear the Lord, reverence, surrender, passion, zeal, transformed heart, Jesus on the inside, new desires, new priorities, new values, living for him, not yourself, putting the flesh to death, living to sowing, sowing to please the Holy Spirit, not your flesh, and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. So Paul's working his butt off for my sake. He did. Am I? Are you? Are you waking up every morning, responding to the grace of God, fully aware of what the gospel has granted you uniquely, a revelation, an insight? You know what revelation is, right? It's not the book of Revelation talking about the stuff that's going to happen at the end. Revelation means God making himself known, which is why the book was called that, because Jesus made himself known to John. But when we talk about revelation, what we mean you can't know God unless God makes himself known to you. It's not just information on a page. It's personal encounter with the living God who is present here and now. Right while I'm talking to you, he's present here and now. And to the extent to which you and I respond to that, he increases it. You're faithful to a few things, he'll increase it. Are you waking up every morning knowing that whatever happened in your life so far, the gospel still placed you in a race? The, you're, you're living before the eyes of the Lord to be faithful to the call on your life and make the impact you're, you're intended to make. Though it might not be the one you wanted to make. It might not be to the people you wanted it to be. It might not take the shape you wanted it to take. It might not be the dreams that you had. It might be like Abraham and Sarah who when they went to their grave were still waiting on many of those promises to be fulfilled and it didn't look like they were going to be fulfilled. Are you capable 
of staying in your zeal, staying in your first love, staying pressing hard, pushing hard till the end, running in such a way as to win the prize because you have a call on your life and you are living with a knowledge that's dominated not by people, but by Jesus for the sake of people. How are we tracking? Good. One day Jesus said to me, because um, you remember the parable of the, the three stewards? Not three stooges. <laughs> we, call it the, we call it the parable of the talent sometimes. One's, one's granted five, you know, one's granted five, one's granted how many, and then one's granted one. What's the second number? Three? The one with five is faithful, increases it, Invests it, risks losing it, doesn't just bury it. The one with three is faithful, risks losing it, gives it all away, because in the kingdom that's how this works. Whatever you give away grows, whatever you hold on to dies. Right? Which is funny because we think in the natural, if we give it away, we won't have it. And it's actually the, in the kingdom, it's the opposite. In the natural, it works that way, but in the kingdom, it's the opposite. That whatever you give away gets, you get more of it back and you get sharper, wiser, and smarter in it. You get an increase. So one day I was reading that and Jesus said to me, Have, can you honestly say to him that you've given away everything I've given you? And what he meant was how he's revealed himself to me. Right. Have you honestly, Tim, given everything right. away that I've, like literally everything? Because, you know, I don't know how many of us feel like, well, I wish I could serve God in all these various cool ways, but I'm just not qualified. I just don't know the Bible as well as I should. I'm not a good enough speaker. I'm not, I don't have the self-control or I don't, oh, whatever our excuses are. And they may be right. Like, we may stink in all those areas. We may. Like, Moses was called to be, like, God's mouthpiece, and he stuttered. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he's really got to work on that stuttering problem. God's, like, roll, God's rolling his eyes going, dude, I knew that when I called you, and that's why I called you. I didn't want somebody who would take the credit. Do you think maybe that applies to us too? And so like, that's the kind of stuff that gets us to bury the talent. Paul gets up every day and he's like, I am struggling ahead. I just, I feel like Paul was a bit of a jerk in his temperament, a bit of a hothead, very confrontational, like the sort of person who would burn a lot of bridges. And you know, you ever, have you ever cried over the Barnabas fiasco? The John Mark Barnabas fiasco? They were like ministry partners. I have. And I just go, oh, you know. I'm not saying they never reconciled later, but I'm just like, there's a lot about Paul that would bother me. Yeah. If I had to be his buddy, if I had to be his ministry partner. There's a lot I would struggle with. There's probably a lot he struggled with about himself. But none of it stopped him from getting back up and moving forward. I've said enough on that, I think. You don't know who your life's ministry work for, is for. And if you are able to know who it's for, it's like, count your blessings. If anyone comes to you and they're like, thank you for this, thank you for that, it's like, dude, man, when I started out preaching, I was like, I was so afraid of being puffed up with pride. I was like, what if I do well? And then, and then people are like, you did great. And then I'm like, I'm amazing. And then I'm terrible because I've got pride. Yeah, that, that, that worry about that one went away real quick. I pretty soon, instead, instead of being afraid of compliments, I made a folder called encouragement. 
which I drank from like an IV drip to survive. Yeah. Oh, I don't, don't give me a compliment. Uh, I'm afraid I'll be puffed up. Pride, what are you talking about? This is hard. I'm trying to make it through. What in the world? Verse 2, I want their hearts. This is why he's working so hard. This is what he wants to achieve. I want, I want the believer's hearts to be encouraged and united in love. Notice this. Encouragement and connection flow naturally from the love. Can, can you think of a time in your life when someone's love for you surprised you? It's like you didn't expect to receive love. You, respect, you expected to see something, receive something else. Can you think of a time when you were discouraged and all somebody did to it and, 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 it, and it absolutely changed everything for you was just love you? Isn't that weird? They didn't have to try to encourage you to encourage you. All they did was love you and it brought encouragement to you. It brought strength to you. It imparted courage to you. And the second thing, United, where love flows, connections are strengthened. And then if you get all three of those things, love flowing, bringing connection and encouragement, oh my word, that is a powerful force. I'm convinced that arguments matter. I don't mean getting into arguments is a good idea. What I mean is I'm convinced that truth really matters Clear reasoning for Jesus really matters. Our beliefs matter. It matters if the logic of the Bible has sunk into our thinking and becomes our logic. And I'm also convinced it's not nearly enough. If there are pockets of little Jesus people who have authentic love for each other that creates connection and encouragement and they have clear bible reasoning thinking speaking praying boy that is that is so powerful so powerful and something else happens because like the second half of verse two well i guess it's the middle verse two is a long verse so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding okay here's what i think he means by this you can be right, but not know you're right. You can have the truth, but not have conviction about knowing that you know. Paul wants you to not just have the gospel, but he wants you, he wants you deep in your knower to know that you know. He wants you to not just know, okay, yeah, Jesus loves me. No, no, no. He wants you to absolutely have a certainty about it. I'm, I'm depending on this love. I'm, not, I'm, no, longer, I'm no longer shaken by life circumstances. I'm no longer shaken by what other people say. I'm no longer shaken. Romans 8, 16, God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's kids. There's, there's something more than head knowledge. There's spiritual apprehension. That assurance is a byproduct of the spirit's work in us. It's, it's, partly, it's part of why it's so important to always be experiencing more and going after more of Jesus. It's what revival is, by the way. Personal renewal is when Pete gets alone with Jesus and out of the sincerity of his heart yearning after God, 
Notice this. Your scripture is filled with if-thens. If you'll do this, I'll do this. And one of the biggest core values that should be in every Christian's life is a core value of seeking God diligently. Because we have these promises in place. If you'll come after me, if you'll just seek to know me, if you, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So if Pete in private with no one else around gets some victory, gets some victory, goes after, I want to know you, Jesus. The spirit will come and give him an assurance of what he has been given freely in the gospel. It will make the objective accomplishments of Jesus subjectively his personal property that he has. So that it's not just he'll know the truth, he will know that he knows. We sometimes call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when it happens over and over, we call it filling with the Spirit. So when it happens to just Pete, we call it personal renewal. What it, but when it happens to a whole community, we call it revival. So what we call revival is just normal Christianity working as it is intended. Amen. Just normal Christianity. It's nothing special. It's nothing weird. It's nothing unusual. It's just God's forgiveness, God's love, God's hope, the indwelling presence of Christ, the, the knowing that we know the ability to relate to him in the midst of horrible circumstances and yet know that he's working in the midst of these circumstances for my good because he loves me and I can trust him. Remember the story when I was brand new baby Christian, I read in a book of Ezekiel and God says to Ezekiel, I'm about to take from you the delight of your eyes and I want you not to grieve. Carolyn Biggs and I were talking about this the other day with someone. I want you not to grieve. I want you to go on and act as though everything's fine. And then it says, in the morning, my wife died. And I did as the Lord commanded. And I took my Bible. I'm a baby Christian. I assume the God who wrote this, the God who Ezekiel knew is the God I'm dealing with. I took my Bible and I threw it on the table and I backed away from it like I'd seen a ghost. What the heck is this, God? How am I supposed to trust you if this is how you treat your kids? Can, can I trust you? How, how can I trust you? How can I, how can I trust a God who would do this to his kid? You would ask your kid to walk through this. Of course, we all know, right, if we've read the story, he's asking Ezekiel to go through something symbolic because the prophets, sometimes their words are a message, but sometimes God asks them to make their lives a message. And what's he saying? Israel's broken covenant with me and they've lost the only thing that matters and they're acting like everything's fine and nothing's fine. And he's asking Ezekiel to depict in real, and, you're, and, I, and I remember just being so mad at God. How dare you, God? Now, I wouldn't have said that quite out loud that strongly, but that's how strongly my soul felt it. It's really important that you don't shut that part of you down or you'll stop being real with God and then you'll stop connecting with God in the secret place. It'll be deep, it will no longer be deep calling to deep. It'll just be you editing yourself. You won't know God. You'll have a form of godliness. Your heart will be detached from it. And I was like, God, what the heck are you doing? He's your best kid. Why do you treat your best kids this way? If I had any common sense, then I would have immediately thought of Jesus, the ultimate example 
And here's what God, do you want to know what God's answer to me was? You know I'm going to tell you no matter what you say next. Unless there's like a loud shout of be quiet, we want food. That would be hilarious, by the way. We want lunch. (laughs) Say it again. Am I paying? (laughs) Well, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday, so no. There, that's my excuse forever. I said, God, what is going on? He said, well, look 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 at the next verse, Tim. Look what Ezekiel did. So I looked, and it says, and in the morning, I did as the Lord commanded. And I was like, okay, so? And he says, do you know why? Do you know why Ezekiel obeyed me? I said, no, Lord. Because he knew me better than you. Oh. Some of us are still in kindergarten spiritually. That's okay. You got to start somewhere. You got to start from where you are. That's where I started from. Hopefully I've made some progress. The Lord knows if I have. (laughs) But Ezekiel was able to obey in places that would have stumbled others because of how intimately he actually knew the Father. I was scandalized, right? Paul wants us to know God so intimately that it's not head knowledge. I want you guys encouraged and united in this spirit of love so that you, your knowers know so deeply that nothing can shake you. Nothing can shake you. I'll keep reading. And have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Guys, Jesus is the center of our gospel. Jesus is the center of the whole biblical uh, witness. Jesus is the centerpiece. His, His victory on the cross is the centerpiece of all human history. God's where we came from and God's where we're going. And Jesus is his image. And he is the center. And he's the center of the gospel. Therefore, he's the center of your life. Paul wants you to stay fixated and focused on Jesus, knowing him, walking with him, feasting on him, and enjoying him, obeying him, reverencing him, honoring him, learning of him, exploring life with and through him. And he wants you to know there's no upgrades compared to him. He wants you to know whatever problem you're facing, the wisdom is found in Jesus. Whatever insights you lack to get to where he's called you, the answers will come to you through Jesus that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, knowledge is the knowing about, wisdom is knowing what to do next. Wisdom is the applied. It has to do always with practical, real life. And it's all found in Jesus. And he's saying this because, of course, you know, as we've talked about so many times in here, the Colossians started with Jesus, but religion was starting to fool them. Religion was starting to tell them it now depends on them adding things, certain dietary choices, certain festivals, certain religious holidays, certain observances, 
special sacred washings and special sayings to have power to navigate the angels and the the spiritual fight that, that they're in. Now, maybe those specific examples don't pull on us. Maybe we go, well, I haven't been tempted with occultism lately. I haven't been tempted to pray to angels and so forth lately. But I suspect there's a great number of areas of our life where we're headed away from Jesus to other sources of help and hope and power that are significantly less effective. Verse 4, I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. I want plausible arguments in in my thinking. I want evidence. I want truth. I want clear reason. I want to follow clear reason. I want facts. I want data. I want truth. I'm just going to land the plane real quick, okay? Well, as quickly as I can. So we'll skip verse 5 today. But I want truth. I want evidence. I want reason. I'm not closing my mind to facts. I already know what I believe, and I don't want to hear any other views. No, I want to be open to truth. All truth is God's truth. So... And Paul's not saying, oh, plausible, if somebody's using highfalutin reasoning, then they're going to deceive you. No, there's highfalutin reasoning that glorifies Jesus. Again with that, I need special pants that don't get hooked on my pulpit. Or I could uh, put on a... There you go. That's even better than what I was going to say, which is like a climbing uh, harness. And I could swing wildly out over the whole. This is totally unrelated, and we have precious time left, so I better tell you. Gabe's been asking for a grappling hook for years, and we finally got him one. And it's like razor-sharp, pokey, pointy ends. And I'm like, this is terrifying. So you needed to know that. Plausible arguments. Guys, I love this kind of thinking. All truth is God's truth, and, and, and I don't care who said it. We have so many dumb fallacies. We have the fallacy that, sa- that says, I care more who's talking humanly than whether what they said is true. That's weird. That's, that's really weird. But it's also possible for facts to be arranged in such a way as to deceive Jesus makes up stories to express kingdom truths. So he's using fiction to express truth. And the devil quotes scripture to tempt us and him. So you can take, you can take made-up stories to express truth, or you can take facts and you can weave deception. And that is what Paul's worried about. He's worried about somebody taking you through Bible verses and taking you through psychology and taking you through evidence to craft a narrative that will cause you to start, start drawing away from Jesus. Amen. And he, he's, he's re- actually really concerned about it. It's a practical problem. It's a real live threat in your life and in mine that it wouldn't work if it wasn't plausible. So... 
What's going on with the prayer time? Can y'all hear her or do I need to repeat all that? If you are feeling stuck or you feel like you want an encouraging word, the prayer team would love to pray over you. If you just haven't gone forward for prayer in a while, I encourage you to do it. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up, uh, first off, we lift up our president and first lady. We speak healing and blessing, uh, speedy recovery in Jesus' name. Now we lift our hearts to you, God. We ask that you would speak to every heart in Jesus' name. We ask that we would hear your call. We just acknowledge that this Christian life is not self-powered. It's not self-initiated. It wasn't our idea. You call to us. Faith is always response. It's not us going in our own direction saying, God, bless this direction. It's us responding to your voice calling to us. So we say, God, we ask for you to incline our hearts and to tune our ears to hear your call today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen.